2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. We're in a series called Living Intentionally. It's about fixed focus. It's not washing up on the beach. It's not drifting. It's not floating along, ended up in the bushes or somewhere. It's a fixed focus. I'm going somewhere, and I'm making choices to get there. I'm living with purpose. So we'll start with this scripture, verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling on your life, and that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by your faith. You've been prompted to do something? That's good. We pray this so that in the name of our Lord Jesus, he may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw an article on CNBC about the world's oldest billionaire. His name is Chang Young Chung. There's his picture. He, he's 101 years old. He only looks 100. <laughs> Come on. He recently celebrated his 101st birthday. He's got the resources to live any life he chooses. So can you guess what he chooses to do every day of his life? He goes to work. He is the founder of Pacific International Lines, a shipping company. And until last year, he was the executive chairman of that company. He has now modified his title and his role, but he is still involved in daily operations, key decisions, checking in with every department head every day. He said that work is not an option for him. It keeps him alive. He said, I can't stay at home. I'd get very bored. Yeah, most people couldn't understand that kind of thinking in American culture. Most people would say, if I had a billion dollars, I think every day I could do something interesting that didn't involve punching a time clock. In fact, many people are ready and willing to embrace the slightest excuse for not having to go to work. Let me pause and say this. Work is not a curse. God gave Adam a job before the fall. And can I say to single girls, he gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. Amen. You do not want to support him. Now, I'm not talking about a crisis for a moment, but I'm talking about, well, <laughs> he's such a hunk. Yeah, but, but he ain't got a job, honey. You don't, want to, you don't want to support him and then the kids too. So I'm just trying to show you divine order. Work is a good thing. keeps you alive. It keeps you focused. Thank God. For a job. Really? Uh, there are plenty of people who would love to have a job right now in this country who don't, and world who don't have one and don't even get paid. And then we got people who won't go back to their job because unemployment pays them more than their job. There's something wrong with a system like that where it pays you not to work and everybody says help wanted, you know? Okay. What I've discovered is that that attitude is not always indicative of being lazy, as it is indicative of a lack of clear-cut, well-defined sense of purpose. See, when you have purpose, you pursue it every day of your life, whether it pays a little or it pays a lot. It drives you. Your purpose in life includes your job. It also includes many other things like your family, your volunteer work, your spiritual life. And when you do it right, it's all-encompassing. 
You know, we're in week two of a four-part series, pretty simple, called Living Intentionally. And this series is about experiencing the power of fixed focus. And you're going to move towards what you focus on. The Bible talks about vision, and vision is something you're focused on, and it pulls you through difficult times and difficult challenges. God says where there's no vision, people go unrestrained. You don't get disciplined by legalism or by law. You get it by a vision. The vision will cause me to do what I don't normally want to do. If I'm an Olympic training, I'll get up on a cold, wet, running morning, and I'll do it when I don't want to do it because I want that gold medal. And I'll go on a diet, and I won't eat the chocolate cake, and I'll discipline myself to do what my flesh doesn't want to do. I want the cake. I want the fast. I want the Doritos. I want heavy spice. The older you get, the more spice you need. You know, your senses grow dull. I've kind of noticed that about myself. Spice. Spice boys, spice girls. I don't know. Anybody old like me would agree you need a little hot mustard or something? Yeah. No, you wouldn't want to vote, would you? No. Okay. Okay. Welcome to uh, Summit Presbyterian Church here. <laughs> I don't know. I got so involved, I forgot where I was. Where am I? What was I saying? Huh? We're talking about vision. Yeah, vision gives you discipline. It'll, it'll cause you to do what you don't want to do in your flesh. But if you don't have any vision, you have no purpose. God says you just live unrestrained. You have no, you float. You don't have, you don't, you're, you have no purpose. You just, you're all over the place. And you don't want to live that way. So God gives us vision to give us boundaries, to give us go power to get where we want to go and not live in distraction and live with some sort of a discipline. Now, last week we talked about living a one Lord lifestyle because Jesus said you can't serve two masters. As I quoted the great theologian Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. We played that one time a few years ago up here on, maybe we ought to play it again. Just so I can get the guitar, no? Okay, well, there you go. Overruled, okay. So what are we going to do this morning, Rick? We're going to talk about one purpose, one, one purpose, one objective that supersedes everything else. I wish I could tell you in a 30-second soundbite exactly what your purpose is and how you need to put it into practice, but that's not generally how it works. Your life purpose is something you discover through the process of your journey in life. Now, let me say this. God's already got your purpose planned out. Every human being came into this world with a purpose. The Creator designed you. God says to Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you, called you by name, and ordained you to be. So the issue isn't building my own purpose. It's discovering the purpose for which I'm made. Let, let me say this. There are talented people who are not Christian. But God made them for a purpose, and when God makes you, He wants what He created to glorify Him. But if you don't know Him, then you drift off into pleasure, you, you drift off into meaningless life. I, I am definitely positive, a, a man like Michael Jackson or an Elton John and the incredible gifting that they have and so many others is squandered on themselves, and it ends up destroying them because they don't realize they were given gifting for a purpose. But if you don't have a purpose, then you misuse it. 
and then you squander on purpose and uh, on pleasure instead of purpose. Now, some pleasure is a good thing, but if my whole life is about comfort and pleasure, I usually end up a wreck somewhere years down the line. And that's what we watch happen all the time. But that's a God-given gift. I don't care if you're Elvis Presley or Elton John or Michael Jackson. That's a God-given gift. It is. Just because a guy's a pagan, don't forget, God still created him in the womb, and he had to make his own choices. And if he rejects God or has no knowledge of God, then he lives without a purpose, and he doesn't know why he's been given great wealth or great talent or great position. They don't know why, you know. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a custom-made purpose for you, and you'll like it, and you'll be good at it. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And that will tie into your career, your family life, your church life, and every other area of your life. So today we look at some guidelines just to consider to help us discover and refine life's purpose. There are plenty of them, but I'll just give you a couple. We'll look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We just read it, verse 11 and 12. The church in Thessalonica was a church, Paul said, was an example for churches everywhere. Wow. He said, in effect, you boys are doing it right in spite of the hardship, obstacles, and persecutions coming your way. He said, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and your faith in all the persecution and trials of COVID you're enduring. Okay, well, it's, it's a trial. Would you agree? Sure it is. And, and then towards the end of the chapter, Paul writes, with that in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, by his power, not yours, he will fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that in the name of our Lord Jesus, he may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at three simple ideas related to finding life's purpose. Here's the first one. Number one, you have a calling. I have a calling. Everybody's got a calling to live up to. A calling is not just for preachers who get the call. It's not just for missionaries. It's for everybody. Everybody, ordinary men and women, no matter who you are, God called you in a specific direction towards a specific purpose. Your current employment is part of that calling, but it may not be his long-term plan for your life. Maybe he's just preparing you now for a different career, but the job you have today is still part of his calling. When I was preparing to go into the ministry out of the secular work, I found myself doing all kinds of jobs that were not at all related to ministry. One of them was unloading freight trucks at Sears Roebuck. I didn't particularly enjoy some of those jobs, but the best advice I ever received was to take whatever job I could get and do it like I was called to do it for the rest of my life with the same level of excellence if I were the leader or pastor of the biggest church in the country. And those years helped refine my, my work ethic. Quit complaining about it. If it's saving your life and putting food on the table, thank God for it. And while you're there, give it your best. Do your best. You may have something better for the future, but thank God you've got something now. It may be a raven God's sending to feed you. Don't look the gift horse in the mouth. Thank God for it. Okay. We have a calling, and Paul is challenging all of us to live up to it, to be worthy of it. In today's text, he says, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. 
He's talking about living up to this calling we all have, just like he was in the book of Ephesians. He said, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. See, God's calling for our lives is always just a little bit bigger, a little bit better, and a whole lot tougher than the one we would choose for ourselves. You know, what do you go major in school? Well, I basket weaving, phys ed. Oh, that'll get you some employment. Yeah. You're wasting time. Nonsense. That's not worthy of your calling. We have a tendency to be way too easy on ourselves. Some people pick their life's pursuit based on path of least resistance. What can I do without breaking a sweat? See, well, you can be in the toll booth at the airport, chew gum, and take my ticket, and it ain't going to pay you anything, but you won't sweat. It's got air conditioning in there. Does that flick your switch? I don't think so. I, 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 I got to have something more than that. So God's calling will challenge us to be a little better than we currently are. Quit being complacent when you're not satisfied. There, there needs to be a, a, a a holy divine dissatisfaction. It doesn't mean you're, 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 you're angry or anything. It just means I'm not satisfied yet. I'm, I'm thrilled at what we have at Summit. But if you think I'm satisfied, you have no clue. You no clue. It's way below the high calling, way below. And thank you, COVID, for helping out. <laughs> yeah, that's why Paul doesn't say just coast through life. Just, just stay the way you are. Instead, he says, walk worthy. Hold yourself to a higher standard. Buckle up, buttercup. Come on, raise the bar. You can live better than this. You can do better than this. So when any temptation comes along, the temptation to coast, to compromise, the temptation to just kind of phone it in, the temptation to yield to some sinful desire, when any temptation comes along, learn to say, hey, I'm better than that. You know, God's called me to something greater than this. And greater than a life of laziness or mediocrity or disobedience. I'm better than that. And there's more on my life than this. So where you are right now is not the finish line. There's more ahead. God has placed his calling on your life and mine. And his calling begins wherever you are right now. The job you have today may not be your forever job. But he wants you to pursue your work with excellence. If you're single, he may not intend for you to stay single forever, but he wants you to live the single life with integrity. You may not be doing all you want to be doing with your life at the moment, but he wants you to do what you can today with a spirit of excellence. Be all you can be, sounds like the army, be all you can be today. Really, give it your best shot. I don't, you say, well, I'm just a volunteer. A volunteer is no excuse to be sloppy mediocre. If you volunteer to be a greeter, if you volunteer to help in security, if you volunteer to help park cars, if you volunteer to help nursing, why would it be any less of a standard to show up on time, keep your word, and give it your best? That's what God asked of you to do that. Just because you're a volunteer and a non-paid job doesn't mean, well, I can be sloppy. It won't matter. Where did God ever say that? He didn't say that. Here's what he says in Colossians 3, verse 23. Put this on your refrigerator. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as unto the Lord, not unto men. In other words, God says, look, I realize your employer, uh, girls, your, your husband, whatever, they may not be worthy of this effort, but I am. So do it unto me as unto the Lord, 
not unto men. Now that gives you a whole different spin on giving your best, doesn't it? I'm doing this unto the Lord. I'm sure after 44, almost 45 years of marriage, Cindy's doing it. Uh, huh? Okay, I'll, I'll take Uber home. All right, I don't know. However, I, I quit counting, but anyway, it's up there pretty good. Half a century or something. I, I'm sure. <laughs> now she picked me up when I was 12. I don't know. <laughs> what was I saying? I forgot where I was going. Uh, I'm just saying it must be unto the Lord. It's not, it's not all my virtues. Hey, can I get an amen from anybody out there? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we're all, all part of the human race. We, we understand our depravity, and it takes, it takes real sacrifice to stay with anybody that long. It, it really does. You have to. What are you laughing about over there, Miss Godwin? Let's not put the camera on her right now, okay? Let's not do so you have a calling to live up to, and it starts right where you are. See, a second part of the process of living out your purpose is recognizing you have some big plans to pursue. Another way to say it is you've got some big ideas to consider, some big dreams, some good intentions on which you need to follow through. Paul said that he prays for believers in Thessalonica that by God's power, he might fulfill every good purpose of yours, every act prompted by your faith. That same verse in the New Living Translation says, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Now, here's a major part of determining your life purpose. As you look at the world around you, which opportunity, which unmet need, which possibility most captures your attention and ignites your passion and imagination? That's a key to his purpose for your life. We're all different. It might be injustice that draws somebody into uh, the legal field. It may be uh, helping children find a home who are orphaned. And it draws, to, you may be working in a different job for an income, but that would be your purpose because you're driven to support it and help, help it, right? I have a friend who's a tax accountant. Now, I'm, my personality couldn't do that for a living, but he said, I love working with numbers and I love solving people's most dreaded problem, like with the IRS, right? That's something his faith prompts him to do because he loves serving people. It fits him like a glove. I've got another friend who donates a great deal of time and money to the Wounded Warrior Project, helping veterans adjust to life after suffering severe battle injuries. That was a need that captured his attention. And I could go on and tell you about people I know, school teachers, healthcare professionals, construction workers, stay-at-home moms who have pursued their life's work, their volunteer ministry, because an opportunity to do good captured their heart, their faith. And God says, do that. That's how God kind of guides you in life. Theologian Frederick Buckner said this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Yeah, let's see, that may determine what you do for a career, or it might determine what you do after work, but it will certainly determine how you spend your time, where you spend your money, and where your priorities, what they will ultimately become. See, a key question to determining your life purpose is, what good thing is my faith prompting me to do? Now, it doesn't have to be big like Joyce Meyer or something like that. It could be serving 
We have ladies that have creative gifts, and they can design, and they help set up for the women's uh, meeting for Sandy Ross, and they decorate it. It's spectacular. Hollywood couldn't do it any better than that. Well, that's a, that's a purpose. They're using their creative design to help the kingdom, uh, bring the women in to be exposed to the Word of God. That's just as vital as preaching on TV. That's just as vital as anything in the world. Your gift of helps. That's a that's, but unused, it's, you're not using your purpose. I may have a job that pays my bills, but my purpose may be separate from that job of what I'm doing. One doctor makes his income, and it gives him the privilege to take a month off and go to a third world country and perform surgery on children that have no medical support, no hospitals to go to, and to just invest his life for a whole month at no charge, helping them have a better life and to recover. That's a purpose. See, are you with me? You see, here's the, here's the third element of living out your life's purpose. Paul uses a phrase we can't afford to overlook, and it's verse 11, that by God's power, he may fulfill. I, I'm saying in order to live out God's purpose for your life, you have to understand a third principle. God's purpose can be fulfilled only by God's power. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, God says. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, less than nothing. When God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land, he appeared to him in the form of a burning bush. And because of serious mistakes that Moses had made in his past, like murder, just a small little bobble there. Thank you. Waiting on you to catch up, right? Just a small bobble there. He didn't think he could do it. He wasn't worthy. He said, I stutter. I'm not a good speaker. And then God said, okay, Sparky, I've heard all your excuses. Now go. He said, you can and you will do what I said because my power will work through you. I will be with you. Now, in the rest of the story, you see how God called him to do some incredible, courageous things and came through for Moses in a mighty way. Moses was a great leader, but he could never have done what he did without the power and grace of God. A few minutes ago, I talked about how God wants us to hold ourselves to a higher standard, to live up to our calling, to walk worthy of our calling. And I would also say God wants us to aspire to a higher level. That means as we consider our calling, we don't ask ourselves, what am I smart enough to do? What am I talented enough to do? No. Instead, we say, what is God big enough to do through me? He loves to use the weak, the foolish, and the outcast to confound the mighty. That ought to include you. Yeah. You don't have to be the best, the brightest, the biggest, the mostest. You just have to be willing. And God loves to take things that people just overlook and use them for His glory. So we should attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, we won't make it. We'll splatter. Now, that may not be the perfect way to say it, I guess, but I like the idea behind it because whatever good idea you pursue, great or small, you need to hold fast to one fundamental truth. You're only going to succeed in fulfilling your calling by the grace and by the power of God. That's why Paul says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, we ask or imagine, according to his power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That's Ephesians 3. God says, if you can ask, I can do more. If you can think it, I can do more than that. 
the key must be us. You're not asking big enough. I don't think we, I don't think we intimidate God. I don't think we say, and where God says, dear Lord, what do you, what do you think I am, God? <laughs> yeah, he says, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask. Some of you need to ask bigger. You need to pray bigger. Quit praying these Mickey Mouse prayers and living a Mickey Mouse life. God, make God have to say, whoa, because that never happens. That never happens. The only time Israel got rebuked like three times was not asking enough. It says they limited God and turned back. And I thought, man, I don't, you know, with all my faults, I don't want it to be limiting God. I don't want to limit God. And I don't think most of you do either. So try to do it without God's power. You end up like Moses, herding some stinking sheep on the backside of nowhere. But if you live and move and work with God's power, even the sea will part before you. Oh, yeah, come on. As you consider God's calling on your life, do you find yourself feeling a bit anxious about it? Good. As if maybe it's more than you can handle? Good. If not, maybe God wants you to reach a little higher. Maybe he wants you to reach a little further. Maybe he wants you to risk a little more. Hey, you'll never get a miracle in your comfort zone. It ain't going to happen. You won't grow in your comfort zone. You know, the mother eagle has to pluck up the down feather, the fluff in the nest so it's sticky and prickly to get the eaglets out of the nest or they're going to be snake bait because they can't fly. She has to push them off the cliff to make them fly or die. And sometimes God will bring discomfort in order to push you out of your comfort zone to show you he gave you wings, you can fly. Quit, if I saw a bird walking down the highway, I'd say, you dumb bird, God gave you wings. You ought to be flying. And, <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of an illustration. I'm thinking some of you need to realize God gave you wings to soar like an eagle. And you're just bumping along like a bird on a highway. God's got a bigger life for you than that. Come on, stretch a bit. Uh, ask God for more than enough. Take a risk occasionally in your giving, a risk in your serving, a risk in a career. People that are entrepreneurs of great businesses had to take a risk just like you and me. They had no guarantee they would make it and employ thousands of people, but they took a risk. One guy built a billion-dollar business out of a $5,000 investment. A big risk, but it paid off. And I'm saying, maybe not for everybody, but for some. Maybe God's been probing your heart to start a business or do something. And timing is important. Wisdom is important. Uh, it says of Isaac, he sowed in a famine and reaped a hundredfold. My idea is that even in this mess, God can do some pretty amazing things if we'll trust Him, if we'll believe Him. Don't be afraid to take a calculated faith risk. God's purpose for your life, and He sure has one, can be fulfilled only through His power. And that means He wants us to surrender to Him every single day, saying, God, give me the strength, give me the grace to, all, to do all that you want me to do today. Well, let me close with this story. True. I wish I could tell you in a specific detail about what your life's purpose entails, but that's just not how it works. All I can do is give you some clues. But I'm sure of this as anything in the world. As you pursue God, as you listen to your heart, 
as you listen to his voice. He will capture your attention somehow through something and ignite your imagination with an idea that's just beyond your comfort zone, your reach. And you'll be inspired to hold yourself to a higher standard. And you'll be challenged to rely every day on his power. Now, I began this message telling you about a 101-year-old billionaire who loves to go to work every day. And I find it so amazing somebody could be that engaged in their life's work. What a gift. And then I remembered the story of John Kitna. There's his picture. He's an athlete. He attended Central Washington University on a football scholarship. It is a small rural school. Their players rarely end up in professional sports. But against the odds, he was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. He ended up playing 16 seasons for Seattle, Cincinnati, Detroit, and the Dallas Cowboys. Throughout his career, he put up some pretty good numbers, and he earned multiple millions of dollars. When he retired at age 40, he could have done anything he wanted, or he could have done nothing for the rest of his life. So what did he choose to do? He took a job teaching math, coaching football in a tough, impoverished school on the east side of Tacoma, Washington. Why would he make such a choice? Well, several reasons. The most significant was that while attending college, he made the decision that changed his life's direction, and he decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. The result is that today he and his wife live with a sense of purpose when they could have lived with pleasure and comfort. And this is what he said. We don't believe we've been given all we've been given to just enjoy a comfortable life. I said that to one of my rich friends who has gone by the wayside now. And I said, do you think God's giving you millions a month just to buy cars, to travel the world, to fly jets, and to buy expensive things? Is that a purpose? It was meaningless. And because... He pursued pleasure and comfort versus meaning and purpose. Enemy took him out and took what he had, and he didn't finish well. I think he's burned through three divorces and $20 million or something. Attorney fees for a bad deal were like, uh, last time I checked, $450,000 a month. How would you like to pay that? Drifting. No purpose. Listen, if God made you rich, if God gave you talent, if God gave you skill, it's not for just for your comfort. You'll benefit from it. Nothing wrong with that. But to think that's my goal, just to buy another exotic car or another jet, dear God, get a life. Wake up. God designed you with purpose, and he entrusted you with wealth or talent or skill. Use it for the glory of God. See, what an amazing example this guy is demonstrating, Kitna about the message that we've just been talking about. Living your life with a sense of purpose, finding that place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. Many people are driven by the desire to create an easy life. Kitna and his wife are driven by the desire to create a meaningful life for himself and for his students. And his everyday message to them in that poor school, there's greatness in these halls. And today I would say there's greatness in this room undiscovered greatness in this room. God has a purpose for you. And if you're ready to reach, he's ready to help you fulfill all the good things your faith is prompting you to do. God's purpose for your life begins today. 
right where you are, holding yourself to a higher standard, looking for opportunities to do good, and surrendering yourself to His power for His glory. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.